so that's all I have for us. I'm going to pray. And uh, it's a great sermon. I don't know about you, but I, I, love, I love that bumper. Uh, well, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, thank you all for, uh, you know, chipping away at the five inches of ice off your windshield to be here. Uh, we're glad to see all of you. This morning, it seems like the common theme the last three weeks is an epic snowstorm before, uh, you know, every Sunday church gathering. So, uh, anyways, well, as that sermon series showed, we are, sermon bumper showed, we're going through the book of Acts for probably half of the Acts for three quarters of the rest of the year. And our sermon series is entitled Acts of the Holy Spirit. And the reason why is, as we're, as we're going to see as we journey in the book of Acts, is that the Holy Spirit is the primary actor in the book of Acts and the one accomplishing the mission Jesus gave to his disciples to take the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And the simple truth of uh, this that we're going to see in the book of Acts is that Jesus Christ builds his church and the gospel goes to the ends of the earth only through the spirit-filled, spirit-empowered church. Fifty-nine times in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit enters the scene. Fifty-nine times. There's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. So it's more than twice a chapter and 40, almost 40 of those times, the Holy Spirit is speaking to his people to speak through them to advance uh, the kingdom. And so our encouragement as we go through uh, the book of Acts this year, our encouragement to you guys, kind of the invitation is let's not posture our hearts uh, to study the book of Acts this year as passive observers who are just downloading more information about the book of Acts. Um, let's not do that. Let our approach be not passive observers, but active participants, but active participants. And the reason why, as we're going to see, is that the same mission that the early church had is our mission as well. We share the same mission the early church has, the great commission to go to the ends of the earth and make disciples, advance the kingdom, preach the gospel. And if we share the same mission, then the reason we want to dive in and Acts is we want to go, well, what was the method that Jesus gave the early church to advance the kingdom? And what we saw last week is that method was really simple. It wasn't a method, it was a person. It was for reliance upon, hunger for, prayer for, for empowerment of the third person, God, the Holy Spirit, operating in power in and through his church. So if you were here last week, we looked at Acts 1, 1 through 5. And what we looked at last week is Luke, the author of Acts, kind of describes this 40-day period between the resurrection, bodily resurrection of Jesus and the ascension, where he appeared to his disciples for 40 days uh, with many convincing proofs. There were eyewitnesses to his bodily resurrection. He says, hey, fellas, look, I'm flesh and blood. Uh, look, here, you can, you can, you know, like touch, smell, like engage your five senses. You're going to be, five senses, you're going to be eyewitnesses to my bodily resurrection. And then what we learned last week, too, is that in that 40-day period, the king of the universe gave a seminar, a 40-day crash course on the kingdom of God. He taught them about the kingdom of God and his intention for his kingdom to go to all nations, all people, all tribes, all languages. And uh, the impression I get when I, when I look at this 40-day uh, period before kind of the early church is, is thrust out into the mission field is it's kind of like a coach in the locker room before the big game, right? For 40 days, he's got his team with him. They're not necessarily on the ice yet or on the field yet. He's got his whiteboard out. He's like, all right, fellas, key strategies, you know, for the game today. Just get the puck in the back of the net. That's kind of what, you know, we're accomplishing this game, every game, you know, whatever. And then, like, towards the end, when the ice is clear and uh, the game's about to start, what does the coach do, right? If you played sports in high school, the coach, he rallies everyone. All right, now let's go, go get them. Go, go, go to the ends of the earth. And that's not what Jesus does. That's not how Jesus ends his seminar. It's so interesting is that the way Jesus 
finishes his 40-day seminar, he says, wait. He says, wait until you're clothed with power from on high. He says, actually, don't lift a finger. Don't move an inch towards fulfilling the Great Commission until you receive the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. And so what we saw last week and what I'm going to be repeating uh, almost every time I'm up here preaching, uh, because repetition is the mother of all knowledge, is that uh, what we learned last week is how fundamentally critical the Holy Spirit is to the advancement of the kingdom of God. To say that we can go without, to go, to say we can go advance the kingdom of God without the king's presence, without the Holy Spirit, is like saying we can sail without the wind blowing. It's impossible. It's impossible. And so what we want to put in front of us this next, uh, these next couple months as we're in the book of Acts is the impossibility of us fulfilling the Great Commission. Jesus, you want us to go to the ends of the earth? Well, then we need supernatural power. We need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to thrust us and propel us to do that both locally, nationally, and globally, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Um, and so with that said, we're going to be in Acts 1, 6 through 11. Uh, we're in the same context, uh, the same setting of our text last week. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 1, verses 6 through 11, and we're kind of at the tail end of this kingdom of God seminar. We're going to see how Jesus wraps up his seminary crash course on the kingdom. So before we dive in, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us. We're not going to read the text out loud together. It's kind of too long, so I'm going to pray. We're going to go through it verse by verse. So let's pray and let's posture our hearts to receive the word this morning. So Heavenly Father, we come before you so grateful, God, that you're a generous God, you're a kind God, you're a merciful Savior, your, your mercy is new every morning, God, every morning. Thank you for the reminder and the the, the, the set list today in worship, that we are cleansed, we are forgiven, we've been pardoned. We've been given amnesty from the king of the universe and invited to feast at his table in his kingdom forever. So we're here for you, Jesus, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. We're here for you. This church is about you. We exist. We exist to glorify and magnify your name. So we say, take all of your glory. Take all of your glory today. Holy Spirit, would you come, and would you have your way with your word and with our hearts this morning? Would you help us to see Jesus where he is, in the glory of his goodness, in the glory of his kingdom, and, and, and would that cause us to hunger and yearn to make him known and hallowed in our world, Lord Jesus? So Holy Spirit, come. I pray that you would magnify and exalt Jesus, that he would increase and I would decrease up here. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, verse 6, let's dive in. So when they had come together, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And so initially when you read this, you kind of think Jesus, like, you know, does the face palm and be like, you got to be, have you not been listening to anything I've been saying the past, like, 30 days? What do you mean we're restoring the nation state of Israel, all right? Uh, but actually, the more I dug into this, Thank you for turning on the lights. Uh, actually, the more I dug into this, this is honestly a perfectly valid question. Here's why. If you were the disciples, and you put, if we were to put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples, and they grew up under Roman tyranny and oppression that was horrific, right? I mean, uh, there were mass crucifixions uh, of Israelites that Rome did to quench like Jewish uprisings. It was awful, the taxation and the oppression of Rome. So that was the land, that was kind of the air they, they breathed was the oppression of Rome. And then two, as good Israelites, these disciples knew the messianic promises in the Old Testament scriptures. That there was coming a Messiah, there was coming a king from the line of David. And he would sit on the throne of Israel and he would break off the oppression 
of all of all the oppression off of God's people, and he would reign justly and rightly forever for all of eternity. And so the disciples had this understanding. It was a common misunderstanding of these messianic prophecies that the nation state of Israel, the Messiah, would come and restore politically, militarily, nationally, the nation state of Israel. So that's what they're thinking. They, they have kind of a misunderstanding of that. And then on top of that, the, <laughs> there's 12 of them. At this point, there's 11 of them, but Jesus chose 12 of them. Okay? And so if they're understanding that the Messiah, who Jesus is, chose 12 of them, and there's 12 tribes of Israel, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out, oh, wait, fellas, dust off your poli-sci textbooks. I think we're going to rule and reign in the new Israel, right? Like, and, and I think that's what leads James and John to, to have that request where uh, in Mark 10, James and John say, hey, Jesus, can we ask you anything we want? Jesus says, yeah, yeah, go for it. And he goes, when you're seated in glory, we want, the, we want to call shotgun seats. James and John called shotgun. We want to sit on your right and your left. And, uh, and then Jesus taught him a valuable lesson about the kingdom. He said in Mark 10 that the, uh, the, uh, the Son of Man did not come to, to, uh, to, uh, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You want to talk about how my kingdom advances. It's not through seizing political power and being served. It's through going low, laying down your life sacrificially and loving and serving others. Mark 10, but the disciples had that most likely that understanding of, man, 12 tribes, there's, there's 12 of us or 11 of us now, but he chose 12. So, man, that's what, we're, that's what Jesus is doing. And then on top of all that, imagine being the disciples, right? These guys, they, they've walked with Jesus for three years in his earthly ministry. They've seen what he's capable of doing. And they saw him die, but they saw him rose again. He appeared to them in bodily form. Uh, and, uh, and so they're saying, man, if this guy gets on the throne of any nation, this guy can heal the sick. He can multiply food. He can calm storms. He can walk on water. In his resurrected body, he can walk through walls. Um, demons are in full subject. Demons beg for mercy in his presence. We need to get this guy on the throne. Of course he's going to restore the nation state of Israel. Why would he not? If the Messiah gets on the throne, we're unstoppable, right? That's how the kingdom of God is going to advance. The nation of Israel will be restored. This resurrected Messiah will be enthroned. And, uh, and through domination and legislation, the kingdom of God will advance across the face of the earth. And look at how Jesus responds to that misunderstanding. In verse 7, and he said to them, I love this, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's not for you. So simply put, what Jesus is saying is, hey, fellas, not yet, and none your business, Right? <laughs> They gave him the classic nunya, nunya business, it's, it's not yet, right? So we do have a promise here of Jesus. We're saying, yes, the Father has, look, look, at, look at the assurance Jesus gives his disciples, and look at the assurance that we have. There is a day coming, and the Father knows. It is fixed. It is fixed by his authority. There's a day coming when his perfect rule and reign will be forever and fully realized in the new heavens, in the new earth, in the new Jerusalem. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. I hope this stirs faith in your, in your souls this morning. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. In verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look at how the, look at how, uh, the Bible ends. Look at the fulfillment of the work of Jesus, what he's done. God dwelling with man and man dwelling with God. That's what Jesus gives us. He, reconciliation to the Father, full redemption, restoration of peace. 
Behold, the dwelling place of God. Where does our God want to dwell? With man. With man forever. So much so that he would crush his son, his only begotten precious son that he's been loving for all of eternity. That's how much God wants to dwell with man and with you forever. This is, this is how the book ends. The full restoration of the Garden of Eden. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be, there, will be with them as their God. That is the good news of the gospel, is that we get God. We get his presence forever. Uh, Ephesians 1.14 says that the Holy Spirit is, the, is the, the, the earnest deposit, the seal of our inheritance. That actually what we get, the biggest spiritual blessing we get is the gift of God dwelling inside of us. Right? That's the first fruit of what we're going to inherit, the, the presence of God for all of eternity. And then look at what Jesus accomplished for us, right? In verse 4. And as we dwell in perfect peace with the God of all love and grace and mercy, verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This day is coming, church. This day is coming. As sure as Christ's resurrection, this day is coming. He will wipe away every tear from your eyes. And death shall be no more. And neither shall there be no mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. This is our inheritance. This day is coming. It is fixed, Jesus is saying. He's saying, not yet, fellas. Not yet. But listen, secondly, and the, the timing of this day that's not your business. So no, Deuteronomy 20, 29, 29 says the secret things, the hidden things belong to the Lord. There's certain things that are crystal clear that the church has been given instructions to go do. And there's other things that are God's things that we're called to, hey, to have a, a, a come to a cognitive rest of not understanding. And so, and so what Jesus is clearly saying here is you don't worry so much about that when that day is coming. Let me tell you about your business. That's the father's business. Now let me tell you about your business. Acts 1.8, this is the disciples' business, Acts 1.8. The full, this is the one, this is the thesis statement of the entire book of Acts, if you will. This is the synopsis, the summary statement of everything that the Holy Spirit accomplishes in the book of Acts. Acts 1.8, but you, you want to know your assignment? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of of the earth. And again, we can't miss this. The first order of business that King Jesus gives the disciples, says, the first commission, the first mission he gives them, it says, is, is this, is, is your first order of business is the reception of Holy Spirit power. You first have to wait and posture yourself to receive the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. Spirit. That mission actually precedes the Great Commission. And if that doesn't happen, there is no Great Commission. If that doesn't happen, there is no Great Commission. There is no gospel going to the ends of the earth if the disciples don't tarry. That's what we see in tandem, right? You will receive power, and when that power comes upon you, it's inevitable. You will be my witnesses when you're clothed in power. And this is what uh, Luke 24, 49 says. We looked at this last week. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay, but you, stay, disciples, in the city until that day of Pentecost when you are clothed with power from on high. Now, quick side note, what an awesome assignment that Jesus gives the 12, the 11 here, right? I mean, come on. 
right? Hey, just wait until you're clothed with power from on high. That's awesome, right? That's amazing. Like, I'll sit and wait for a while for that if I'm, if I'm the 11 listening to Jesus say this. And that's the beautiful thing about what Jesus says. He says he doesn't just tell us to go into battle unarmed. He's saying wait until you get uh, the heavenly armament. I'm not going to send you to the battle unarmed. I'm going to give you power, power to push back the forces of darkness. Wait, wait, you need to be clothed with this power. It's awesome. And that Greek word, that Greek word for power there is dunamis, where we get the word dynamite, dynamite. So the power that Jesus is talking about, when we talk about the power of God and the power of the spirit, biblically speaking, we see this in the book of Acts. We see this in uh, the epistles. We see this uh, throughout throughout the Bible, the power that Jesus is talking about is real power. Explosive, mighty, intense, tangible power. Power. And the reason why is because the power is a person. The power is the Holy Spirit. The power is the omnipotent God of the universe. The creator, the same spirit that dwells inside of us, the same spirit that's dwelling, hovering over creation. Before time even entered the scene, before matter even came on the scene. The omnipotent God, Holy Spirit. That's the power that Jesus clothes us with. And so my question to us is, do we have any idea who's inside of us? This is, this is Christianity 101. Orthodox Christianity, just simple teaching, is that we house the presence of God. You cannot be a Christian without receiving the Holy Spirit and dwelling inside of you. The Holy Spirit applies the redemptive work of Jesus to you so that now you become the temple of God. The veil, at the, when Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. The temple shifted from a hill in Jerusalem to your hearts, to human hearts. That's where the Holy of Holies now is. That's where God takes up residence. We looked at this in 1 Peter. You and I are the living stones stacked upon each other, housing the glory and the presence of God. Do we have any idea? Any idea who's inside us, who's inside us, and who's with us, and who's among us, and who's working mightily in our midst? The omnipotent God, Holy Spirit, my, my, my. And the result, you might be asking, well, what does this power look like? The result of the fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit brings believers this in Acts. Power for effective gospel witness and ministry. The Spirit fills believers in the book of Acts. And what do they do? They testify about the risen Jesus. And thousands upon thousands upon thousands of souls are saved. Thousands. It gives you the power for effective gospel witness and ministry. Power. The Holy Spirit gives us his power for victory over sin. Romans 6. Sin will no longer have dominion over you. Galatians 5. How do we not gratify the desires of our sinful flesh? Galatians 5 makes it crystal clear. Walk by the Spirit. The Spirit of God. It's a supernatural fight, which leads us to the next point. The Holy Spirit gives us power for victory over Satan and demonic forces. Ephesians 6, Scripture clearly articulates our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's a supernatural power against supernatural forces of darkness. Therefore, we have a greater power to push that back. And then secondly, what we see in the book of Acts, and what is still happening today across the globe, church, Holy Spirit power to work miracles that confirm the gospel message. What we see Jesus do in the gospel of Luke, we see the early church do in the book of Acts. 
through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in the upper room, greater works than these my followers will do. So in Acts, we see the early church raise the dead, heal the sick, the lame walk, the demonized are set free. Thousands upon thousands of lost souls come to know Jesus. That's what we get. And, and I'm still going here. And then, and then what we get with the fresh outpouring of the Spirit in Acts 2 of Pentecost is a wide distribution of spiritual gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. Words of knowledge, dreams, vision, prophecy, healing, discerning of spirits. We get a wide distribution of gifts in Joel 2 and Acts 2. Young and old, male and female, the Spirit of God is poured out on all flesh. And then, last and definitely not least, the outpouring of the Spirit, the infilling of the Spirit, it wells up the fruits of the Spirit in our lives. When a God of love is filling you up, guess what manifests in your life? Love. Joy. A God of joy fills you up with his precious spirit. Guess what you're walking around carrying? Joy every morning. Joy, peace, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, self-control. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, God manifesting, living in your life and through your life. That's a pretty long list, right? That's a pretty great promise of the Father. We can thank Jesus for the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus gives us. That's the power we need. And so what we see is that it's fundamentally critical for the believer in the Lord Jesus to be empowered with the Holy Spirit for effective gospel ministry. And the Holy Spirit is so important. So important. Jesus says this in John 16, 7, in the upper room. He's sharing one last meal with his disciples in John 16. We're looking at John 15 in our Abide Sermon series. And some of the last things he says to his disciples before he gets betrayed and is crucified the next day. This is what he says. Nevertheless, John 16, 7, I tell you the truth. Isn't it interesting that Jesus has to say that to his disciples? Because they're, they're about to not believe what he's going to say. Right? I'm telling you the truth. Like, listen up. Listen up. I'm telling you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. And I ascend to the Father. Why? For if I don't go away, the Helper will not come to you, the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. What Jesus makes crystal clear to his disciples here is this. Is the Holy Spirit inside you? is better than Jesus beside you. That's what he's saying. I didn't make that up. I stole it from J.D. Greer, all right? <laughs> Take it up with him if that offends you. The Holy Spirit inside you. Imagine Jesus saying that to the disciples. The Holy Spirit, who I'm going to send, residing inside you, is going to be better for you than me, flesh and blood, walking beside you. That's how important the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is. And so the power... The power the lost and dying world needs the church of Jesus Christ to be crying out for and hungering for in this season is not more political power. Jesus didn't send his disciples vertical. Did he send them north to restore the nation state of Israel? It's not what he said. It's not the power they needed. Jesus said, I'm going to give you a much greater power. Power of love, joy, peace. The power the church in America needs to be crying out for is the power of the Holy Spirit to advance the kingdom, to heal brokenness and division in our region. That's what we need to be hungering for. That's what we need to be zealous about, passionate about, and praying for, the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how the kingdom of God advances, not through legislation, not through domination, but the power of the living God actively at work in and through and among his people. And so what we learn about the Holy Spirit in Acts 1.8 
is that the power is not just this loose, explosive power that destroys things like, like dynamite. This power of the Holy Spirit has a laser-like specific focus. There's an equation here that Jesus gives. He says, you will receive power, and that power will thrust you to do what? To be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. This power testifies to the glory of King Jesus and his kingdom. The power of the Spirit has a laser-like is laser-like in his focus, empowering you and I to testify about the goodness and the glory of our king and his kingdom. And so, with that said, last week I ended uh, the sermon inviting us as a transit church to, one, pray that a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit blows in our midst, right? And then, two, to posture the sails of our hearts collectively like this so that we'll catch, we'll catch that wind as a surrender. We're saying, well, we're surrendering to you. God, Holy Spirit, have your way. Anyway, we're quenching you, operating and moving in power through us. Uh, we, we repent of that. Come, Holy Spirit. Now, I need to give a disclaimer warning for that prayer. I need to give a disclaimer warning for that prayer, and this is it. If you and I want to be clothed in power from on high, we'll pack your backs. Because the Holy Spirit very well might thrust you to the nations, to unreached people groups, to testify about the goodness of Jesus. So yes, Holy Spirit, come. Well, guess what happens when the Holy Spirit comes, when the wind blows? There's one direction that that current flows, and it's to the lost. It's to the broken. It's to those who haven't heard the gospel of King Jesus. So as we pray that, we say, we want more of you, Spirit. Be ready to move. Get your tennis shoes on and your bags packed because the Holy Spirit moves his people. He thrusts them to mission. He thrusts them to the nations. So yes, God, we're saying here we are, but also disclaimer warning, as we pray that, and I pray that that prayer, we're seeing it get answered. It is getting answered. That is happening in our midst, and we're crying out for more. Be ready. It, it, the Holy Spirit has one direction. He flows to his church, witnessing, testifying to Jesus. And you might be saying, hey, Nick, I'm confused. Why are you praying for me to get more of the Holy Spirit? I received all the Holy Spirit at conversion. Yes, of course, all of us. Uh, as believers in the Lord Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit. But I think there's a misunderstanding of how the Holy Spirit operates and indwells in us. Often I think we have, like, the Holy, the Holy Spirit is kind of a closed container, like a can of, of beans inside of us, right? And Jesus, the way Jesus describes uh, the Holy Spirit in our hearts, John seven thirty seven is what he says. Jesus is at this great feast. He stands up and he actually cries out and he says, if anyone here is thirsty, this is what Jesus says, John 7, look it up. John 7, 37 through 39. If any of you here thirst, your souls are yearning for more than what you're living for. You're not content. You know there's eternity in your hearts and you, there's this longing that is not being fulfilled. Come to Jesus, he says. Come to me. And when you come to me with your thirst, with your hunger, you know what's going to happen? Out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John 7, 38 and 39, the Apostle John goes, and Jesus here was talking about the Holy Spirit. That there's a flow, the river of the Holy Spirit. It's not still and stagnant as much as it's a river that wants to flow. And I love the way Jesus says, he says, out of your heart will flow joy and peace and love. So the filling of the Holy Spirit has horizontal reverberations. There's a horizontal aspect to it. There's an impact to that. And uh, a couple weeks ago, my family and I got a couple day vacation to my parents' cabins in the Shenandoah Valley. And it was that season where it was really dry, but it was like, it was like freezing. It was like, you know, 15 degrees outside. And so our kids were like decked out in like snow pants. They're walking around swishing everywhere, you know, like this, wherever we went. 
and our cabins sit on this big hill, but there's this creek. When you walk down the hill of our cabin, there's this creek, and it was all frozen. It was really shallow, probably like two inches of water, and it was so cold that it was frozen. Was there water in the creek? Yes, there was water in the creek. So I took my kids down there. They're in all their snow gear, and, and they have big sticks, and, I, and I'm doing what any good dad would do. Like, let's smash the ice. This stick is awesome. So we're smashing the ice, all this stuff, and, and I'm getting too into it. I, my, my second oldest, Stephanie, she, she just face plants on the ice and kind of pulls like a Bambi, you know, like just slides on the ice. And they're all, uh, me and my sister and uh, Jen were kind of looking at each other, just stunned of like, she's on the ice, what do we do? And then for like a quarter second, she was just floating on the ice. The next thing, psh, like broke, and then she's in the, the water. It was like two inches of water. Uh, but she did get wet, and immediately her pants froze, so we run her up, ran her up to the, uh, I digress, I digress. <laughs> but when you go to the cabin in the middle of winter in a dry season, that creek isn't flowing. It's frozen. It's almost as if the atmosphere of where that stream is can kind of quench or fan into flame the flow of that current. It's almost as if the atmosphere has an impact on the flow of that creek, right? That creek was frozen. That creek was not flowing. Now, if you return in the spring, after weeks and weeks of rain, that little creek becomes a mighty, roaring river. Mighty, roaring river. And I think that's the way the Holy Spirit operates in our lives. We see we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit inside of us. That's what Scripture teaches, that there's an ebb and a flow to the movement of the Spirit inside of us. So if we're here today and we're in a winter season and our hearts feel like they're, they're kind of frozen over and we're not really feeling the warmth and the love of King Jesus and don't have a compassion that leads to action to uh, preach this gospel to uh, people we love, well, Open up your hands and cry out for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit to come and, and to, to break off the hardness of your heart, um, uh, to, to let Jesus come and melt away the, the, the ice that is frozen over the current. Just ask him, go just as you are with your lack and ask for more of the Holy Spirit. Because as we, this is, this is what I've seen to be true, is um, there's, a guy, <laughs> there's a guy in my life that I, I know and love that you know and love, and as I say this, you're going to know who it is, but the more he gets of the Lord, the more he gives away. And so my prayer for my dear brother is, Lord, give him more. Give him more of your spirit, because the more he gets, there's a flow. It always extends. He doesn't hoard it. He doesn't keep it to himself. It always flows to others, and that person is your other elder, Joe Workman. <laughs> Anyways, shout out. Shameless plug for Joe Workman over there. Um, but that's why we want to cry out for more of the Holy Spirit. It's for those all around us. God, give me more of you so I can give, up, give others more of you. So as we open up our hands and, and, and to receive more of what the Spirit wants to do in our lives, to fill us afresh with the Spirit, we don't keep our hands like this. We want to keep our hands like this. We, yeah, we'll, we'll catch up, but may the, may the waters flow through us so we, we can be conduits of your grace and your love and your presence to others. We don't want to be like the Dead Sea that just holds on and hoards. We want to flow like a river that you, the more you pour out, the more we pour out ourselves in love to those around us. That's how the Holy Spirit operates in us. I hope that helps make sense. And so with that said, the simple truth of the matter is that the only way we can change the world out there is when King Jesus comes and changes the world in here, right? When the Holy Spirit fills us and transforms us and we're witnesses to what he's done in our own life, that's when we can first be witnesses to those outside of us. Because that's what Jesus says. Jesus says something critical in, our, in the text. He goes, you will be my witnesses 
my witnesses. A witness, a witness can only testify to what they've seen and heard. You tracking with me? A witness can only testify to what they've seen and heard and experienced or stated differently. When you and I witness the greatness of King Jesus and the Spirit's work inside of us, when you and I witness greatness, we testify greatly about that greatness. That's how it works. Witnesses who see greatness, they behold greatness. The the natural outflow, the natural result of beholding greatness is you got to go tell people about the greatness, right? Who here watched the Super Bowl last Sunday? Yeah, a lot of you did, right? And what was, what was all over the news and social media was a discussion about greatness, right? The GOAT, Tom Brady, 17 Super Bowls, right? Something crazy, right? The GOAT, the greatest of all time. It was amazing. He, he one season, one season, Gronk comes out of retirement, and with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he wins a Super Bowl. I mean, come on. That's, 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 that's greatness right there. But it was almost that all the haters out there of Brady uh, couldn't contain the greatness they encountered. Even though the game was, was kind of lame towards the second half and the Chiefs were totally shut down. And even Jen asked me, you know, why are you still watching the game? I said, because this is, this is historical. Well, I'm watching greatness right now. This is crazy what Brady's doing. Right? I've got to keep watching this, right? And so everybody's on social media testifying Brady, the GOAT, all the GOAT memes, you know, all the social media, so on and so forth. And listen, the early church in the book of Acts, this is why the gospel spread like wildfire. Because they, they were witnesses to the, resur- the resurrected Jesus, but they were also witnesses to the power of the Spirit working mightily in their midst. And so the, the reason they, the gospel spread like wildfire was in the book of Acts, they were, the church was continually encountering greatness. The greatness of God, the living God. God was in their midst. And because of that, they were continually testifying to that greatness that they were encountering. Look at Acts 2, 42 through 47. This is, this is a, 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 a beautiful picture of a spirit-filled church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So they devoted themselves to the word, to apostolic instruction. That's what we want to devote ourselves to, the authority of God's word and apostolic instruction. They met together. They feasted together. They prayed together. They sought the Lord together, right? They were centered around that. And then look at verse 43. And awe, awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Daily they were encountering the greatness of the God who was working mightily in their midst. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And then look, it doesn't stop there. And then what happened? And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Those who were being saved. They're encountering awe and wonder. They're beholding Jesus every day. They're encountering the power of the Spirit working in their midst. They're advancing the kingdom of sacrificial love, selling their possessions, They're praising God. They're overwhelmed with the fruits of the Spirit, love and joy and peace. And man, that thing spreads like wildfire, right? You can't get around that and not catch that, right? And that's what we see in the book of Acts, that when the people of God are overwhelmed by the power of God and the presence of God, they can't help but testify about their God. And so when the church is clothed from power on high, witnessing becomes inevitable. Witnessing becomes unavoidable. It's just what happens, right? 
as we behold our King, as we behold our King and grow in love and adoration of who he is and what he's done and the goodness and the greatness of the gospel, and we encounter more of the depths of his love through the power of the Spirit, we're emboldened to go be his witnesses and share that with others. And so I'll wrap up here with Acts 9 through 11. Jesus here wraps up his seminar on the kingdom. And when Jesus had said these things, as the disciples were looking on, Jesus was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so how does Jesus end his 40-day uh, seminary course on the kingdom? Uh, no big deal, right? He just uh, hops on a cloud and ascends into heaven, right? Pretty awesome, pretty epic way to end the 40-day kingdom of God seminar. Uh, my seminary professors, they would usually end class with a simple prayer of blessing, have a great summer, see you next week. King Jesus uh, gets on the cloud and ascends into heaven. Pretty awesome. And so the picture we get is the disciples kind of look like a kid looking at a balloon just rising <laughs> into the sky, thinking to themselves, this has been the craziest 40 days of my life. Uh, what is happening right now? I can't believe this. And then things get even crazier. And then two angels appear. And they address them as men of Galilee. Why are you looking into heaven? Why are you? And, and I, think, I think as I was praying about this, and scholars are kind of across the board of, of what the disciples were kind of, uh, why the angels said specifically what they said. I think there's a comfort here, the angels are saying. There's a comfort here. There's bewilderment. There's confusion. Um, there's probably a lot of things the disciples are thinking as they're seeing their Messiah ascend on a cloud, like you, like you hear about in Daniel 7, that Joe quoted this morning. But I liken it to this, right? So I have three kids at home. When daddy leaves to work, all I get is fist bumps. You know, I love my kids, hey, fist bumps, daddy's going, boom, boom, boom. And see you kids get back to their business, drawing, you know, making forts, whatever. Now when daddy's home and mommy leaves, it's a different story, all right? There is, a, there is a looking at the front door window of bewilderment, right? And they see, mommy, they see mommy pull out, and they're like, you're leaving us with daddy? Where, what are you doing? Why are you leaving? And all the things are saying, when is she coming back? Is, is this gonna, am I never going to see you again, right? And, and then I, and I go, like, tap him on the shoulder, you know, mudrizo children, like, the same way mommy left. She's going to come back in like 30 minutes. She's just going to Aldi, okay? She's coming back with some squeeze pouches, all right? Just, you know, let's go build a fort, all right? And I think that's what the disciples are wrestling with here. They're like, am I ever going to see, like, wh like what? And, 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 and look at what the angels say. I love this. They say the same way you saw him ascend on the clouds is the same way you're going to see him come again. Rest assured, that day's coming. And they're, they're, they're referencing Daniel 7 there. Daniel 7, it says this. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, God the Father, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. And so the ascension of Jesus was his coronation. The helpful question is when we talk about the ascension of Jesus is, well, where did he ascend to? 
For he's seated at the right hand of the Father, far above, Ephesians 1 says, far above all rulers, authorities, powers, dominions, above every name that could ever be named, and all things are under his feet. Jesus is king of kings, Lord of lords. He is king of the heavens and the earth. The ascension is his coronation. And historically, in the Roman Empire, when a new emperor would ascend to power, when he would ascend to power, he would commission heralds, he would commission uh, witnesses of his coronation to the, the four corners of the borders of his kingdom. And, you, and, and there was no Twitter updates, there's no CNN, so he sent, he sent ambassadors, he sent uh, uh, messengers. He said, you go tell him about the coronation of the king. There's a new king on the throne. You tell him what the king is like. And you tell him, you tell him about this. So you guys go north, you go east, you go south, you go west. And this is what happens at the ascension of Jesus Christ. He says, I am ascending to the throne of the heavens and the earth. So guess where you're going to announce the good news of the coronation of the king of kings? You're going to Judea. You're going to Samaria. And you're going to the ends of the earth. My kingdom is for every people, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Because every square inch of the globe is where I am enthroned. And you're going to go tell him, and you're going to go advance that kingdom until my kingdom is fully and finally realized. And so the ascension of Jesus Christ is his coronation, and then that comes the commission of the disciples saying, now you go testify. You go testify that there is a king. There is a king seated in power, and all power and all glory and all dominion belong to him. And there's coming a day where every knee will bow and tongue confess that he is Lord, King of kings, and Lord of lords. And so church, my encouragement to us is behold your king. Behold your king. Behold your king. Because as we do that, things change and stir within us. The Son of Man is seated at the right hand of the Father, and his kingdom will never be shaken or never be destroyed. And in order for us to testify greatly, we first have to understand the greatness of who our king truly is. And if our king and his kingdom will never be shaken, then we too should not be so easily shaken by what's happening around us, right? Because here we have no lasting city. We're citizens of this kingdom. Christ in his grace to us has transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness. He's given us adoption as sons to the Father. We're citizens of heaven. We seek the city that is to come. And our commission is, one, as we behold our king, let's behold our king, and then two, let's proclaim our king in word and deed to those around us. Jesus says, hey, your business is, is to just show off my glory in word and deed. Tell the world that there's hope. Tell the world that there's forgiveness. Tell the world that there's redemption, that there's healing for brokenness, that there's life everlasting in King Jesus. And so Transit Church, may we say yes and amen to what our king is calling us to do as we journey through this Acts sermon series together. So I'm just pray. I'll give you guys a moment to quiet your hearts today. And my encouragement to you, just to lead your time of prayer, of quieting before the Lord, is just opening up your hands and surrender and just asking Jesus, hey, would you be Lord of every square inch of my heart? If there's anything, anything, Lord, would you come Holy Spirit and reveal to me what is holding me back from fully giving you my yes, laying my life on the altar? What is it that is holding me back from giving you my yes so let's do that now let's go to our king
Father, thank you for your, your word in Ephesians 3, the, the prayer of the Apostle Paul. It says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, and according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Would that become reality in our midst, God? Would you do that? Would you strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being today so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled Oh, Lord, would you fill us with your love? Would you fill us with your precious Holy Spirit? That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout the generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your lordship over all things, God. Thank you that we have a king seated on the throne. Thank you that uh, his kingdom will never be shaken, God. And we just thank you that this king is unlike any other king. He's the lion and the lamb. He's the lamb who laid down his life for sinners. The king who left his throne. Climbed on a cross to bear our sins and our iniquities so they wouldn't be counted against us, but they would be counted against him. So your flock comes together, Jesus, and you say, worthy is the lamb seated on the throne. Worthy is the lamb who was slain for us. We stand in your grace forevermore. Forgiven. Thank you, God. Your king who doesn't demand, we, we ascend up to you, but you left your throne. And like that song, Reckless Love, teaches us you came running for us as we were running from you, God. Thank you that you're the lamb who was slain, and you're also the lion of Judah, the lion and the lamb. Thank you, Jesus, that you have conquered sin and death and the devil. There's coming a day, precious Lord Jesus, will dwell with you in perfect peace and glorified bodies with no more tears. No more sickness, no more division, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more weeping. Thank you, Jesus. You're such a good king. You're such a gracious God. We love you. We adore you. We worship you. Your bride says thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank you, Jesus. And we ask that you clothe us in love. You clothe us with power that can only come from you a power that purges us of apathy and a power that propels us to lay down our lives for the lost, to lay down his life for us. You're worthy of everything we could give to you. If there's anything that we're holding back, it pales in comparison. All of our treasure that we're clinging to, it will all become trash. We can't take it with us, God. So anything that is keeping us from laying down our lives and giving you our yes and going to the ends of the earth with this precious news, Lord, we give that to you. Take that from us, King Jesus. Have your way. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Jesus, 
in our lives and in our uh, region and in our nation and in the globe, would your name be hallowed, Jesus? Would your will be done? And would your kingdom come? It may be said at the Transit Church, it was used mightily of heaven and that heaven invaded the earth through us posturing our hearts to receiving what you want to do, Jesus, in and through us. So we love you and we exalt you. And we pray, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.